0: But happy Father's Day. And uh, we're actually going to be talking about that topic for a bit. But wanted to welcome uh, everyone, and and if you're new, uh, you guys are jumping in to a series called What the Bible Doesn't Say. And uh, I'm going to give that series a quick recap, but before I do, I did want to say, dads, you didn't know this, and How our society and culture is at large, you're probably going to walk away bearing more than just one, because we live in kind of a a crunchy, healthy granola society, but everybody is going to get a snack today. So if we want to pass those snacks out, um, everybody's going to get a Slim Jim. So I was trying to think of a a snack to give dads, you know, something uh, packed with protein, Uh, something that only dads or truckers would eat. It's a slim jim. It's a slim jim. So grab a slim jim. As I said earlier, Dad, it might be your lucky day because you're gonna probably walk out with a few more of those. Your wife and your kids are gonna be like, nope, 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 nope. So if you don't know what a slim jim is, please don't look it up online. Um, just trust that it's good for you. Trust that it's sustenance. Um, so everybody has a slim gym. So I. We're going to talk about those in a little bit, so if you want, just eat it right now if you missed your breakfast, or wait, um, uh, we, we are going to talk about, we're going to come back to the Slim gym a little bit later. Um, so hey, again, we're in a series called What the Bible Doesn't Say, it's been a really fun series. Uh, week one, we kicked off with God Helps Those Who Help Themselves, I, the Bible doesn't, doesn't say that. Week two, God Works in Mysterious Ways, uh, God has Revealed all the ways in which he works in, in his word. Uh, week three, the devil made me do it. Uh, that's not not in the Bible. Uh, and week four is money is the root of all evil. That's what we looked at uh, last week. And so uh, these sayings are all sayings that our culture has somehow adopted or ascribed to God in the Bible. And one of the reasons why we're doing this series is, is to actually say no those sayings are not in Scripture. And those sayings cause us to start to believe little lies or start to say things that we shouldn't believe or say. So my my hope is, is even this morning, we're going to look at um, we are all God's children. The Bible doesn't say we are all God's children. My hope is as we look at this topic today, and as we've looked at the topics in the past and the ones coming, that we would be able to dive into Scripture for the right context because, see, Scripture is going to confront fundamentally, radically, and prophetically all these lies. Scripture will confront them because Scripture is always about confronting culture, and culture is what we build And the Bible says culture is idolatrous. It's not about God. So scripture is going to confront the culture, and it's going to give something better than what culture can give. It's going to give Christ. So that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at the context. We're going to look at culture. And we're going to look at Christ. So we're all God's children is what we're looking at, what we're telescoping into, what's not in the Bible. And we often say this for two reasons, I think. There's two reasons why so many of us say we're all God's children. The first, is often said to maybe soften the blow of, of sin or death or hell. We don't know where someone went when they died, and so we, we're all God's children. Or someone's kind of walking in sin, and, and we hope desperately hope that they turn around and they repent or, or they stop. They come to their senses, and so we just kind of pray or wishfully think, hey, they're all God's children. You know, they'll wake up one day. And then the second reason, reason number two, is we oftentimes say it because we're trying to compassionately remind ourselves to love people or be tolerant. And I, I think that's really good. I would just maybe say as we start unpacking this, that that's not what Jesus said. oftentimes we can just say, well, they follow another religion or, you know, one day, again, they'll wake up and come to their senses. So we're all God's children. But Jesus doesn't go there. And maybe we shouldn't either. Because Jesus is going to tell truth to people. And when we look at all these little lies that our culture has believed, we're all God's children, Jesus wants to come and again, he wants to confront those lives and he wants people to walk away seeing one thing and that's the truth in Jesus Christ. So um, typically these series have been um, they Q&A series. We've got some awesome things. We've got a slice of life um, from a dad coming up. We've got baby dedications. And so we're not gonna take the time to do Awaken Q&A but if you do have a question, if you do wanna unpack something, if you do have a comment, please send it in. I will go ahead and get to it this week. Uh, so we'd love to love to tackle any questions that you might have from our text. Uh, so uh, our text this morning is John eight thirty through forty seven. So go ahead ha- go ahead and uh, flip open to your uh, cordless or non cordless Bibles. And uh, John eight thirty through forty seven is where we're going to be reading. And uh, I'd love just to, to read this for us. It's not particularly long. It's full of dialogue. It's full of back and forth. And the whole text is going to answer the question of whether or not we're God's children. So I think it's a very poignant and perfect text for us. Starting in verse 30. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We are descendants of Abraham, they answered him, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? Jesus responded, I assure you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain. Therefore, if the Son sets you free, you really will be free. I know you are descendants of Abraham, but you are trying to kill me because my word is not welcome among you. I speak what I have seen in the presence of the Father, and therefore you do what you have heard from your father. Our father is Abraham, they replied. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus told them, you would do what Abraham did. But now you are trying to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You're doing what your father does. We weren't born of sexual immorality, they said. We have one father, God. Jesus said to him, if God were your father, you would love me because I came from God and I am here. For I didn't come on my own, but he sent me. Why don't you understand what I say? Because you cannot listen to my word. You are the fa- you are of your father the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has not stood in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature, because he is a liar and the father of liars. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Who among you can convict me of sin? If I tell the truth, why don't you believe me? The one who is from God listens to God's word. This is why you don't listen, because you are not from God. The word of God for the people of God. Praise be to God. So we are all God's children. Let's take that into verse 30. We read something exciting, something encouraging, right? Let's read it. As he was saying these things, many people believed in him. Wow. But Jesus is going to begin to enter into their belief. He enters and he exposes it for not true belief. And this happens a few chapters earlier, right? Jesus does all these miraculous signs and wonders. And everybody, the mob, the crowds, they believe in him. This is the Messiah. Jesus doesn't entrust himself to them. And then he speaks harder things, and in John 6, they all walk away. They had spurious faith. They had a flashy faith. They had a faith that really wanted to get what they wanted. And so, again, we see in John 7 and 8, Jesus starts teaching against the Pharisees. And they're like, man, Jesus, he's the best teacher in town. Like, that's where I'm going to go. That's who I'm going to follow. And all of a sudden, it's like Jesus is more popular than the Pharisees. So we got faith in him. we got faith in Jesus because he teaches the law better than that Pharisee, better than that other pastor down the corner. You know, Jesus, he's, he's lit. He's got the social media following. He's got the podcast. He's got the book deal. We're going to follow And Jesus, again, he's going to enter into this sort of belief and he's going to expose it for unbelief. He does that in verses 31 and 32. And he starts talking about what really discipleship really looks like. And he says, if you continue in my word, you will know truth and the truth will set you free. Now, this is one of those other sayings that we love, right, in America. The truth will set you free. we got some great Jack Nicholson lines, like, you can't handle the truth. And I think we love that saying, but again, we've read in this story that it's not really the truth that sets you free. Again, that's probably like part two. That's like a a whole other series. It's not really the truth that sets you free. It's the sun that sets you free. And so Jesus is saying, if you know the truth, then you're going to know who his identity is, what his mission is. And he's going to say later in John that he is the way, the truth, and the life. So it's not really the truth that's going to set you free. It's knowing who is at the center, knowing and having a relationship with the truth that will set you free. The Son sets us free. Knowing right and wrong isn't going to set us free. It didn't set us free in the garden. It's not going to set us free now. Knowing morality is not going to set you free. Knowing that you should probably not get angry versus exploding, that's not going to set you free. Jesus Christ is going to set you free. And this is what's powerful, and, and this is what's so amazing about this word freedom. When we start to study it, it really is about not just freedom. It's about making you. And that's really the the, the best definition out of the Greek is it's about making you. And then when we start looking at scripture and all of scripture, what is God doing? He's making a people in the garden that worship him and love him. And they fell. And then he's making Abraham to follow him and go on a journey with him. And then he's making a people delivering them, rescuing them from slavery in Egypt. But he's delivering them and bringing them to freedom to worship. You see, freedom in the Bible is is never about what you want to do. In America, that's what we think it's about, right? America, 4th of July coming up, do what we want. That's not freedom. Freedom in Scripture is about getting to worship the Creator who created you. That's what true freedom in Scripture is. Everything else that you do, Scripture actually says you're enslaved. So verses 33 through 38, we get this great dialogue, and the Jews fire back, right? Jesus says he will make them free. Again, if you're a regular Jew and you're listening to that, alarm bells are going off in your head because it's like, you're not going to make anything. Abraham, our father, believed in God, who was credited to him as righteousness, and went on a covenant and had a covenant with God. That's what makes us a Jew. That's what makes us have one father. God, you will not make us into anything. Jesus says, I know who your father was. I was there. But what is he trying to get back to? you? And this is what I love. They said, the Jews said in verse 33, we've never been enslaved to anyone. Oh, really? You were enslaved to the Egyptians? You were enslaved to the Canaanites around you. You were a slave to the Assyrians. You were a slave to the Babylonians. You were enslaved to the Greeks. You were enslaved to everyone. We can be enslaved to so many things as well in our life, particularly as dads. We can be enslaved to prestige and power can be enslaved to popularity. You can be enslaved to knowledge of so many other things, but not God's word. And this is what Jesus says. He says the real problem, the real problem is that you don't have God's word among you. His word is not welcome among you, because he says, if it does, you would realize that God's desire is to adopt you. That's why I was sent as the adoption agent of the Father to bring you into the family. And you know what? When you're adopting the family by the Son, you stay in the family forever. But the thing is, if you're a slave, you're gonna be kicked out of the family. And Jesus says, My word is not welcome among you. So let's keep going in verses 39 through 41. The the Jews double down, right? They double down on our father's Abraham. Jesus just taught them that actually I will be your father. But they double down. I think we do this all the time. Uh, Just even as a dad, hey, sometimes I double down on trying to be right trying to get my way, or trying to win the argument against my wife, or trying to tell my kids to do it this way instead of maybe listening to them. I doubled down on some things that I probably shouldn't double down on. Well, the Jews do the same thing. Our father is Abraham. So Jesus, again, patiently instructs. Don't you love that? One of the signs of a father is patient instruction. And Jesus said, if you were Abraham's children, you would do what Abraham did. And so then we have to ask ourselves, well, what did Abraham do? We're just going to pick one verse from Genesis 26, going all the way back. I mean, the Abraham narrative is, is quite lengthy, but one verse sums it up. Genesis 26, verse 5. Because Abraham listened to my voice and kept my mandate, my commands, my statutes, and my instructions. What did Abraham do? He listened to God's voice and he kept his commands he kept relationship he followed so then as how every bad argument goes Jesus exposed them to the truth once again and then the Jews decide to fight dirty they decide to hurl insults and we we do this too um we can do it at our children. I've done it to my kids so many times. Corbin, you're so slow. Hurry it up. How does that affect his little heart, I wonder? I've got to work on my parenting and my fatherhood. We can do this in our relationships with our spouses. You don't even know where I'm coming from. And you start taking digs and you start fighting dirty. And so what did the Jews say that it's fighting dirty? They take a jab at Jesus' parentage. In a sense, they say, hey, Jesus, we know who our father is, but you're the son of a bastard. I mean, you want to start a fight? You'd start talking about someone's mama. I mean, really, you do. And that's what they do. They start talking about that. And then they say, we have one father, God. They're boasting. They dig at Jesus, they fight dirty, they escalate this argument because they're trying to prove that, Jesus, you're not right about this one thing. You're not right because we're all God's children. Oh, hey, there's our topic today. Look at that. We're all God's children. We're right about this. We're sons and daughters of Abraham. And Jesus is saying, I'm trying to tell you you're This is what he says, verses forty-two and forty-three. He says, "If God, your your Father, you would love me, because I came from God and I'm here, but I didn't, for I didn't come on my own, but He sent me. Why don't you understand what I say? For you cannot listen to my word." Jesus is trying to say something really simple. Why don't you understand what I say? He's not making it complicated. You don't need a theological degree to understand what Jesus is trying to say here. It's really simple. Again, Scripture oftentimes is written on a middle school level. It's easy to read, but it's very difficult to understand. And Jesus is saying, why don't you understand these things? I'm speaking plainly and simply. And then he gives them the reason why. Again, two reasons why. The first reason is that he's not doing this on his own. God sent him. And the second reason is they do not love God. And they cannot listen. For if they were able to listen, they would love God and they would love Jesus. Sometimes I wonder why it's hard for us to listen. (laughs) I have three kids. I think my baby one-year-old listens to me the best. Um, my kids are just busy. They're playing. They've got something going, else going in their eye, on their minds. They're stubborn. Why can't they listen, and we're the same way? But the reason that Jesus digs at these adults who profess faith, they profess faith, is that they really don't love him. You see, they're the flash mob that fakes faith. And Jesus wants real people who have faith. Do you see the difference? They're the flash mob who wants to just stamp Jesus on whatever they're doing and go about their day, show up to a cool teaching every now and again, brag about the podcast that they heard the other day, but not have a costly, true, deep faith that shapes and changes everything that they do based on the word of God. We don't get to do what we want. That's freedom in America. God said, I I want you to be free in me, so worship me. And that's what love is, when you begin to follow the commands of Christ. So we're all God's children, and this prophetically, fundamentally reaches the climax in verse 44 when Jesus says, you are of your father, the devil. I think that was kind of like a mic drop. Yeah. You know, Jesus was just kind of like, boom, you're your father, the devil. I wonder how difficult that teaching is sometimes for us to hear in the church if Jesus is up here in, uh, uh, again, a stadium full of people, a flash mob full of people. And he says the same thing to them. You're of your father, the devil. And then he says, here's why. You're of your father, the devil, because the devil is the one who carries out lusts. The devil is the one who murders. The devil is the one who speaks lies. It comes from his very own nature. And the people... Who are, again, the flash mob claiming to profess faith in God are doing all of those things. And so it challenges us to begin to examine our faith. And then we see this beautiful contrast. It's not in English, um, it's in Greek. And it's a beautiful contrast. Some of you uh, English nerds and English teachers might love it. Uh, it's a contrast built on demonstrative pronouns. Um, and this is what's so cool about it. Is this verse? What Jesus is saying is, God Himself sent me to you to love you, to adopt you, so that you could hear my word. And then he contrasted it with Satan. Satan himself, from his very nature, is So Jesus is setting up this confrontation all through the use of pronouns. Some people are nerding out right now, like three of you. All through me, myself included, so four. Maybe five. I see you, Francisco. He's setting up this confrontation. We're not all God's children. You're either God's or you're your Father's. And you've got to make a singular choice. Are you going to believe that God himself, out of his very nature, sent his son to shoulder your sin and your depravity on the cross and rise again in new life to give you that same new life? Again, God sent his son Jesus as the adoptive agent. This is the adoption paperwork. Are you going to believe that? If so, you are God's child. The other side of it is, hey, the devil himself is your father because you are indifferent to God's word. And you do what you want to do because you think you're free. And you are not shaped by the love of Christ and by the words, his words. on Father's Day, it would would be a a tragedy if, if you hear the gospel so clearly and yet walk out unwilling to change your parentage. God is an adopting loving father and wants to father you and shepherd you by his word, by his love, in community. The devil himself wants to be your father as well. And he wants to be your father by just telling you, you do whatever you want. You do you, the millennial cultural mantra. My greatest hope is that you would not walk out if your parentage is in question. Um, Right after the service, we have a prayer time. I'll be right here. Uh, One or two of the other members of our church will be right here. We'd love to pray with you if you want to believe in the gospel, Uh, even if you're going through something else. Maybe you're hearing a lot of lies the devil. We'd love to pray with you. It's available right after service. So we've been setting up this contrast and Jesus closes it again. Clearly, he says in verses 45, 46, and 47 that Jesus himself is the truth and reveals truth. And the one who listens to God is a child of God. What we do with God's word is going to matter. I was talking to a friend the other day, and uh, it was a really hard conversation. Um, because, you know, we talk about something, and he just, like, shares opinion about a couple things. I'm like, well, that's not really what God's word says. And he's like, well, we don't really know if we can trust God's word. I'm like, you're a Christian. What are, you doing? what are we saying here? Why are we going back to this? And then sometimes he would fire back with, well, that, that's been, that passage has been used to deceive so many people. It's almost like he doesn't want to believe in the word because it's been used wrongly before. God's word has been used wrongly throughout the centuries. Again, what the Bible doesn't say. But Jesus desires to speak truth and reveal truth and communicate truth to your lives. So the real problem is we don't want to listen to God. So to to kind of show this again really clearly. We'll we'll pull up a little contrasting table here. Great. So to summarize and recap what we've just been talking about, Jesus clearly says, you're children of the devil, if you're a slave to sin. If you can't ever say no to sin, again, you might want to look at your parentage. I'm not saying, like, we've all stumbled, we've all fallen, we've all sinned. You can't ever say no to sin. That's a concern, a deep concern. If you're indifferent to the word, hey, whatever, I'll read the word whenever. I don't really know what the Bible says, but I'll just keep doing what I want to do. Or if you're confronted with the word and challenged to repent and you don't, you're, this is just indifferent. This is just another book to you. Put it on a bookshelf. And then the last is that you'll carry out the works of the devil. You'll be a, a liar. You'll be lusting. These are the things that God says, hey, I can tell if you're a child of the devil or not. This is what you're doing, and it comes from your very nature. But God says, I want to put that nature on my son, nail it to a cross, so you can walk away free to worship. And he says, this is what it looks like. You will be drawn by the Father you will be given to the Son, chosen by the Son. You will be taught by God. You will be taught by these words. They will shape your life. And because of that, you will belong to God. And that is not an easy journey. But that is what God is saying. I will make you, just like I made Abraham, just like I made the people of God, I will make you. You will no longer be made by idols and idolatry and culture, but you will be made by my Son. So, Slim Jims. Uh, you guys were wondering when I was going to get back to them. Or you're really hungry for a snack. and um, Slim Jims. Anybody know the, uh, the advertising jingle for a Slim Jim? All right. So, snap into a Slim Jim. As a dad, I, I want to speak to everyone, but I really want to encourage you guys as dad. It's Father's Day. If there's one day in the year that I can kind of roll up my sleeves a little bit and throw some punches towards dads, it's today. Because I also punch myself. I've actually been knocking myself out a lot. Snap into God's word. Are you taught by the word of God? Or are you indifferent to it? Yeah, I'll get time to get into God's word today, maybe. Maybe. We don't think about our work or our wives or our children that way. We want to see them. But yeah, if I have time, I'll, I'll get to it. Snap into God's Word. The second thing is that, Dad, I've found that oftentimes the level of my anger and my frustration at things is entirely dependent on how well I'm snapping into God's Word. I'm angry when I'm not in God's word. But when I'm being humbled and taught by God, I'm in his word. The last thing, and this is for guys, uh, I don't think we can love very well without community. I don't think we can love our kids very well, our wives very well, if we don't have a community. There's things as a dad that I've seen dads like JB and Scott do that I'm like, oh, I want to do that. There are things that I've seen Frank do that I'm like, I want to do that with my kids. And it makes me a better father. But oftentimes, and the move we make, again, in America sometimes is, hey, once you're saved, you got to have that personal quiet time in the Bible but that's not really how the ancient world revolved around scripture. You had times in the word with your whole community, with everyone around you. And so, as a dad, sometimes we've said, Well, I got to work overtime. I got to work extra. I got to go fishing. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to do that. So, what can I cut out? I'm going to cut out just being around other dads. I'm going to cut out just going to church. I'll read my Bible. It's okay. No. God wants for his fathers to be around one another because when they're around one another, he can teach them together. And they don't have time to try to lie to others. They don't have time to to lust after other things because their lives are being filled with good things. So what I'd love to do is um, actually invite a really good friend up. Francisco, if you want to come on up. Because I think sometimes a pastor can just say, "Hey, snap into God's word." Um, you have all the time in the world to do that. It's your job, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I'd love to have Francisco come and share for a few minutes as a dad, um, because he's a man who's been on a journey and going on a journey of snapping into God's word, of being parented by Scripture. So I'm really excited for him to share. And uh, love you, brother. Share away.
1: You're a good, good father, it's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are, and we are loved by him, right? Since I can't remember, since I can't remember, I've wanted to read his word, fly planes, be part of our military, play music. And since early age, I wanted to be a dad. That's something I wanted to do. My wife can of test for that. Was, what are we gonna do? We're gonna have a kid, and have a boy. <laughs> <laughs> and my my heavenly father has always been abundant with all the blessings. I've been able to do all of that. He is more than abundant. He only gave me one. He gave me two. You know, Geo and Santi. Ah, uh, there are my two miracles. I come to realize that, that being a father is a blessing, but it's also a responsibility. A responsibility to guide my children into the kingdom of heaven. And as a military officer, I know this is a mission that I cannot afford to fail. Good morning. My name is Lieutenant Francisco Arboleda, United States Navy. And I'm here to share a little bit of what is being a dad and what authority God has shared with me about being a dad. I also go to a seminary right now with, uh, with Andrew, and he asked me, he gave me this opportunity uh, in honor to, to talk about this, this subject, which is very, very important. First things with great power comes great responsibility, right? We heard that before, right? Uh, I think it was uh, Spider-Man. No, actually, Uncle Ben. Uncle Ben said, great power comes great responsibility, right? And uh, we have the responsibility of our children, and that is a big responsibility. So, therefore, we need a great power to be successful at this mission, a power that can only come from above, a power that can only be given by the good, good father himself. Right. By the way, Uncle Ben was correct, wasn't he? Was you now, I mean, power comes with responsibility, and that is the truth. And we learned today about the truth. We learned today about the truth today. And if its truth is in the Bible, and it's sure it is, Jesus, Jesus said, "From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded, and from the one who has been entrusted with much, much will be asked." Where power comes with responsibility. Essentially, right? So the truth is that we can all, all, we can all be good, good fathers. This is not only applies to fathers, this applies to all leaders, parents, to all of us, to all men and women alike, single or married. We all need to develop a spiritual maturity that comes from God so that we can lead others. Paul said, for even if you had 10,000 others to teach you about Christ, you have only one spiritual father. For I became your father in Christ, Jesus, when I preach the good news to you. When I preach the good news to you. You see, when you preach the good news to somebody, you are a what? A father. You are a leader. You become the first one. You see, Paul went preaching for the first time the good news to people. He became that owner, that author, for the first time teaching about Christ. I want to share a little bit about me here. Um, the authority that I have or, or as an officer and as a leader uh, did not start as an officer, as a leader, or, or, or even a dad. In fact... When I was growing up, I never had a dad or a mom figure for a l- little while throughout my childhood. I was raised by uncles and grandparents. Uh, never really a father. But God in his grace always gave me somebody to care for me and to be guided. My dad had to come to America early um, before I was three, so I really didn't know him. My mom had to travel to Europe, so I was away from her. Um, but essentially, I always had somebody to give me the teaching, the discipline, and anything that I needed. And that was provided by, by the Father himself. Okay? Um, my stepdad became into my life. And, and, and that was somebody that I imprinted because I saw how successful he was. And, and I imprinted. I, I wanted to be like him. Do you understand? And that's something that, um, that, I, that, I, that I started to carry with me, carry out with me. Not many people know this in my life. Well, my wife knows, uh, and she uh, and she also uh, looks with respect to my stepfather because he kind of made me uh, from early childhood the man I am. And then from there, the military and other uh, other father figures came into my life. But what is to be a father? What is wh- what does that word mean? Well, I had the chance to study some Hebrew last semester, at, uh, and I can share the. Alphabet with you guys now. <coughs> um, I can share. No, I'm not gonna change all the letters. I'm gonna change only the Aleph, Bet. The Aleph Bet is the A and the B in, in, in Hebrew, right? That's where the al- alphabet comes from. Um, and if you read them, which you read backwards in Hebrew, by the way, uh, so so that way, okay, <laughs> you see that the A and the B sound Ab, Aba. Abba, father. Abba is the word for father in Hebrew. And it's also the word for dad, father, and ancestor. That's pretty important. Three, three meanings there. But when we look at the old ancient Hebrew, the first one that, nah, I don't know, maybe Adam, that's what they wrote, is pictorial. You see, the, the, uh, the A, the Aleph, is an ox. An ox is the strength, the leader, the alpha. That's what it means. When they drew an ox face, that was Ra, that was the alpha. And when they drew the B, meant a house, a tent, the inside. And it's also used for the sun, okay? You combine those together, and now something amazing happens, right? You combine the two letters together, and the aleph bed becomes the strength of the house, becomes the leader of the house, the alpha. Some powerful meaning there. Well, let's look a little bit about what father really means. Father is your origin. Father is the resource, the fountain, what feeds you, what's going to teach you, what's going to make you strong. It's also the author, the founder. If you look Google right now, I was looking, what is a father well, before this? And I was Google father of, and in Google, you can father of anything you want father of freedom in America, George you know, Washington, father of McIntosh, uh, Steve Jobs, father of whatever, you know? They are the authors. They are the ones that have the authority of the legitimate work that they have done. That's what a father is also. But a father is also an ancestor. And that's what in Hebrew they refer as a father, the ancestor. The progenitor, the first one, the first one of his generation. The first one that gave identity to the generation that we are coming from. It is important because that, that is your God-given responsibility. Right now, where you are, whoever you are, you are a leader, and your generation will come sometime. And you, as a father, as a leader, as a mother, you're giving an identity to your generation this is why it was important. That's why we have books of the Bible that go all through generations. Because for God, it's important where identity comes from. In days, this is where your responsibility is as a father. It's to create an identity on your kids that is going to be carried out through generations. One day, you will be the ancestor. One day, they're going to come back to that identity. you understand? Good. Hopefully, that identity is in Christ church, it's quite difficult to be a good father. I know I'm an average or maybe below average father, um, but I've been learning a lot. And uh, and I've learned that that it takes an image, an imprint of a physical father and the spiritual guidance of your heavenly father. Jesus had a a, a, a father who imprinted a, a physical father. He became a carpenter, did he not? So, he also had a physical. It's important to have an image. And anyone here can be an image, can be a father, can be an imprint to somebody else. But he, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers or authorities, all things created through him and for him, right? This sums up everything that I've been saying. He's the author. He's the firstborn. He is where all things were created. This sums sums up what a father is, right? Because the son became the father, and the father is the son. Children will imprint mainly from their father, uh, but whoever is their mentor, pastor, guide, friend. If you have an identity, if you have influence on someone, someone will imprint of you, good or bad. All right? Might as well make it good, make it for the heavenly kingdom, right? As a naval officer, this happens today, every day. I got people that, that I have to lead, and they imprint of you. They come back and say, sir, I want to follow your footsteps. And I'm like, okay, I'm Try not to, you know, make it all. right. I'm trying to make it all right. I try not to fail you because I, at that time, they're trying to imprint on me. said that I imprint on my kids every minute. I love that my kids, uh, from, the, from earlier, I put them in martial arts, taekwondo, and, uh, and I see how they move, and I see how they act, and I see how they behave, and I see a little bit more of me in them. Uh, Giovanni, for instance, he's very good with his, um, he's very precise with his movement, just like I wanted him to be early. And he's won a lot of medals uh, in his competitions that I never did, I mean, but he's, he's amazing at it. Santi, Santi has this passion for action uh, in the martial arts. He likes to move also, and, but he moves different. They are both completely opposite, completely opposite to each other. Yet, I see myself in them more and more day. That's what's going to happen and that's what you're going to start seeing when you imprint on people. When your leadership imprints on others, they're going to come and you're going to see, whoa, this this looks very familiar to me. This looks very familiar. Why? Because somebody imprinted uh, from you, from your leadership, from your discipline. You are an image of them. I, I only came today to do one more last thing. I don't know how we have time to give you three Three characteristics. He said, no, we're we're done every time. So next time I'll give you three more characteristics of how to be a dad. (laughs) But for now, I want you to remember one thing. God has entrusted you with that responsibility. Okay? To start new generations. It's your identity who's going to carry on. And that's what your fatherhood is. You're going to cover and protect your children, motivate them, bless them, build them up with character, pick them up overall with love, and you guys will do all right, because this is how you build a kingdom of heaven. Church, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you today, because you allowed me to share with you, you allow me to share the truth, the fatherhood that your people want, that your people deserve. Lord, I want you to guide them, to guide them into the new generation. We're coming into a battle where the identities are being lost. But with your leadership, Lord, with your leadership and power, with your word, with your sword, and your guidance, Lord, you will bless your people, you will inspire it with your spirit, and we will have an advancing kingdom of heaven on earth. In the name of the Lord, in the blood of Christ, I pray all these things. Amen.